The following is a production of C3 Studios. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Above the Fold with the Ag Communicators Network, a podcast discovering the latest headlines and stories in ag media. I'm Kelsey Litchfield with Colleen Callahan Consultancy and C3 Studios. Today's episode is brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. Today I bring you an interview with Harlan Persinger, freelance writer and photographer and owner of H Lens Photos. I briefly met Harlan at past Ag Media Summit events, and I've always remembered his excellent photographs and how each one told a story without needing a caption. I would look at his photos for quite a while. His work is outstanding, and I knew I wanted to interview him and learn about his career. In this episode, Harlan shares his extensive international travels throughout the years, photography techniques and tools that you can implement, and then we reflect on his career and lessons he has learned. Harlan is an award-winning photographer and has achieved so much. He was the AAEA Master Photographer in 2000, 2005, and 2008. He has had honorable mention in IFAJ contests, and he was awarded the 2016 AgCom Network Lifetime Achievement Award. And then in 2020, he was the Distinguished Graduate in the ISU Dairy Science Club. His photos have been featured a lot of places, internationally, nationally, in the Peace Corps calendar, National Corn Growers Contest, Capture the Heart of America Contest, and the Iowa State Fair, just to name a few. Harlan understands agriculture. It's been a part of his whole life. He grew up on a registered Holstein dairy farm and raised Suffolk sheep as well in East Central Iowa. Harlan was a 4-H'er and showed livestock and participated on the judging team. It only made sense to major in dairy science at Iowa State University and traveled to Denver and Kansas City as a member of the wool judging team. How cool is that? During the summer of 1966, Harlan was given the opportunity to travel internationally for the first time, and it was required as a part of the class to document the trip. And that's where this photographer's journey begins. So when I was at Iowa State University, they offered a, uh, a summer travel course that went to 10 countries for, through agronomy and animal science. And so in 1966, we took that trip, I think in July, there was maybe 25 or 30 of us uh, that went to, to 10 countries. And Give me my first touch, first touch of international travel, of course, and also customs from other countries, although we weren't in the country very long. And uh, that's when I purchased my first camera, a little Minolta, just kind of a point and shoot to record that because we had to do it for our college. Uh, we got college credits and then we had to write a report. So that was my first step in the, into the international arena. And I'll tell you what, I, I've never looked back since then. So you say you purchased your camera then. A little small Minolta camera. I don't even think it, it only had one lens on it. And did you ever think you'd be a photojournalist later in life? I never, ever thought that I would be a photojournalist in life. However, I will say that when I was in high school, a senior, I took volunteer position to write sports on the high school newspaper. And that was my first introduction to any kind of journalism uh, career at all. I never thought that I would ever, ever expand on that, but I did it because I wanted to, and I wasn't uh, that good in athletics. I was small. And so, well, why not contribute that way? Mm -hmm. So I would always write the story after the games on Friday night and deliver it to the uh, English teacher on a Sunday morning when I went to church and she never ever turned me away and never correct, corrected anything I ever did so I'd like to go back to the high school back to the library and find a couple of those articles and put them in my scrapbook mm-hmm. 
so you've purchased your first camera that that was during college, correct? At Iowa State during college, but then yeah. yes, but I didn't I didn't ever I didn't use it much after that travel course. Well, being in 4-H in those days, it was only livestock projects, and if you go into 4-H now, they have all kinds of woodworking and photography and things like that. So I suppose if they would have had a photography project, I would have carried through, but they didn't do that. So I had no training at all in photography before I went on a travel course, and it was just to kind of document the trip. So was the next time you picked up your camera was when you were in Vietnam? Tell, tell us that story. I was in ROTC in Iowa State, and I graduated, and I was an officer, and I had spent two two uh, terms, two hitches in the States, one in Virginia and one in Kentucky, and I got shipped over to Vietnam on November 1st of 1968, and I uh, kept moving further north and got up in the I-Corps, and uh, I became an ammunition officer in 11th Infantry Brigade, and there was four of us in the tent, and a, a friend of mine, uh, another lieutenant, he, he had a camera, and he played with it now and then, and he said, how would you like to learn photography? I'll teach you. And I said, well, yeah, I don't know anything about photography. I mean, yeah, let's sit down, and we'll go through, and you teach me the ABCs. And he did that, and uh, and to this day, I still talk with this fellow we we he doesn't do much in photography but he went into video and we still talk and so we went to singapore singapore together on r and r in july of that year and i bought a pentax camera with two lenses and then i went to australia for my next r and r hitch before i came home and uh, that's where my photography career started pretty much i just started taking pictures in australia and and, and and kept moving forward and from his teachings um it was uh, a wonderful experience to have someone get well we didn't have anything else to do at night so it worked out perfectly so he gave me the abcs i needed what was the biggest lesson he taught you the biggest lesson he taught me uh, well he said you always need to have your camera with you because you never know what what might happen and of course when I got back from um, buying the camera, then I started using it around the post. And then I will tell you a story later on something that happened there. That's probably my most memorable photograph today. But um, so then, and of course, then when I uh, when I got out of the army, I went to Norway as an international farm ace farm youth youth exchange delegate and i lived there six months in 1970 and i had to document that trip for talks later and to uh, also do uh, articles and that's where i really started to carve my niche in photography you know i i, I spent time with five bar, five farm families and i well, I always had my camera with me, and there's always something going on, something different. You know, and you're in a foreign mm-hmm. country, you just photograph everything you could. And, you know, I just didn't photograph the people. I photographed signs and marriages and birthday celebrations because that's part of the, that's part of the lifestyle, just like it is here in the States. But they're different. There's different customs. And, yes, and I really learned to focus on some of these little uh, – additional things that you want to show in pictures so when i came when i came back from norway i gave my talks and one day i was uh giving uh i went to iowa state university to show some pictures to a friend of mine uh, that i went to college with and he looked at my pictures that evening and we just had a nice little social gathering he kind of come in and he said boy harlan you got some really good pictures there did you buy some of those pictures when you were in norway and i said no, Jim, I didn't buy those photos. I, I took all those photos. And he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. He says, you go back to Iowa State University and you get a degree in ag journalism. And you match that degree with dairy science. It's an, it's an unbe- unbeatable combination because most people don't have that. And if you do get that degree, I will say this to you. You're going to have a ticket 
a little ticket like an airline ticket. And you're going to punch that ticket every day for the rest of your life if you get that degree. And I have to tell you, Kelsey, I have punched that ticket for over 50 years every day. I went back to Iowa State and I got my degree in ag journalism. And it's an interesting little side tip or sideline there. When I went down to get into school, I met the professor and the head of the journalism department. And that morning he told me he could not let me in school. He had no openings at all. So I just went around that day and kind of looked at different things and some of the classes and sat in. And uh, when I went home in the evening, I told him, thanks for letting me come down. And he looked me square in the eye and he said, hold on, I have an opening for you at Iowa State. You can come your next quarter and you can go to chat in the ag journalism. I know it kind of shocked me a little bit. And I think maybe the reasons why I got that opening was because I was a veteran, but I'll never know. But uh, an antidote to all that, after I did graduate a year later, the same man, the head of the journalist department, got my, my very first job in Chicago, Illinois. Mm. And that's how you got your official career started in ag media. That's how, that's how I got started. In, uh, in in the uh, small house organs and uh, public relations agency in Chicago called Dave Brown Associates in 1974. And our major client was Harvestor. And we had to do stories for the magazine. And we had to take a, the old square camera out and take pictures with it. Not, not a 35 millimeter, but it took square photos and only 12 images to a roll of film. So you're constantly loading that camera. And it was, like I said, square image. And it taught me how to take covers for for magazine covers because I had to learn how to crop right on the screen. Mm-hmm. Sure. Harlan, real quickly, I want to take a step back to that moment when you were told that you should stick with the photography. And I, I think there's a lesson to be learned in that, that we should, we should have mentors that help guide us, but we should listen to other people and what they say our strengths are. Because, you know, we, we, as younger people, we might not have the confidence to follow what we think we're good at or, we might not think it's needed in, in the job space, but you truly have to go with what your um, what they call your zone of genius or what you're really good at. And it's nice to have people that believe in you for that. Yeah. So there was two people that kind of uh, put me into that direction. When I worked at Dave Brown and Associates, that was uh, in 1974 and the, uh, AAEA group had a photo school in Missouri that you could attend for a week. And he sent me there because we're doing a lot of black and white photography for the magazines. And the photo skills were just as important as the writing uh, because we we covered, uh, you know, a wide scope of, of equipment. And he, I went to that photo school and that photo school was a breeze for me. I got there. I had to find a subject. I found the subject. And you got 10 rolls of film and you go out the very first day and you take pictures and then you get the critique at night. And the very first day I got out there, I almost had my story done because I, it just all fell into place. And taking that uh, particular uh, school taught me how to do picture stories. There was no words. Everything was told in photos. And so I even had the story published in one of my house organs a couple of years later that I worked on at web publishing company. And then my second person that gave me the real push or helped me get going in photography was in 1976, I joined AAEA and I went to the uh, annual meeting in Chicago and you were allowed to enter some pictures if you had published that year. Oh, I entered four or five, six photos just on a whim you know, I didn't expect too much. And so we were just watching the judging and these photos were all on cardboard boards. You don't have any screen or anything to look at. And a man came up behind me and he tapped me on the shoulder. He says, um, you know, I like your photographs. You have a really good eye. And I think if you stick with this uh, taking pictures, you can make a career of this. 
and and I did get a third prize prize that year. But the man was Frank Lesseter, a no-till farmer. Later, the owner of that magazine. He's still published just today, and he really. I'll never forget when he did that. I will never, ever forget that. Yeah, it's it's an encouragement to cheer on other people and show your appreciation for the skill sets they have. And it's a good lesson to show others and to um, appreciate the work everyone's putting out in their world. We, we each have our own creative skills. But we also, I think that's a good lesson in encouraging others to do so as well. Harlan, tell me more about now that you've got your career started in ag media. Tell me about the agency life and then briefly how you got into freelancing. Okay, well, I worked at Dave Brown Associates for a year and a half on those on the Harvest Store account, traveled all across the United States. And... Uh, then had a chance to uh, move on after I kind of covered everything I could do there. And I ended up a uh, second job at web publishing company in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I worked on in the creative communications division. They also had the farmer magazine and farm industry news and, you know, those stable national farm publications. So I worked in creative. So I worked on the white farm equipment account and Mobile Farm Future, Amico, and Clark Melrose, and they all had house organs. So they came out, you know, every other month or four times a year, and I just would do stories and then take pictures, and I had a really good art director there that we'd sit down before I went out to do anything, and we'd go over some ideas, and he was very, very helpful and always was able to get the shot. And one thing about working on the white farm equipment, we had to take a lot of equipment in the field, you know, and I learned how to do this particular type of photography and using light to make it jump off the page. And uh, I, yeah, I really gathered some skills there on how to do farm equipment, which paid dividends way down the road when I worked on the Case IH accounts and Alice Chalmers and some of these other ones. So that was my second job was there. I stayed there five years. Uh, and then I moved in 1979 to Bader, Rudder and Associates in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was the largest ag agency at the time. There was about 45 people there. And my assignment was to handle uh, the Funk Seed Corn magazine, which was called Early Riser came out four times a year with different geographical divisions. And I was the, pretty much the editor and had a couple of other people helping me and just travel around the story and we're around the country and doing stories on customers. But then they always had a couple of pages in there where you could do some country life. And so you could get off the beaten trail and do, do something on an unusual boat race or an unusual collection of something or sometime I found somebody that collected four four leaf clovers and so that gave me the another opportunity to enhance my uh, real thing I like to do which was picture stories and so I had a picture story in every issue and that's where I started to win a few photo awards with these picture stories. I had been here for 25 years. I stayed 25, and then I thought, well, you know, maybe I need to tackle a different challenge. I've done quite a few news releases, and I think I've gone as far as I can here. So after three decades of working in the world of agricultural public relations, you know, which included writing and photography, photographing various assignments for internal and external company house organs, I started the freelancing in 2004. And I was a bit reluctant to do this, um, but it was a little different aspect of ag journalism. And the prospect and challenges of working directly with multiple blue chip clients played a major role in my decision to start freelancing. And in my age, it wasn't the maybe 
real easy to get another position then. And I felt that good timing, team with confidence, and a stroke of luck would be the primary factors in achieving success. And you know something, that formula worked perfectly. And another way that it gelled out for me was that was the time the days of shooting 35-millimeter slide film were winding down, and digital photography was quickly becoming the new kid on the block. So it was imperative to upgrade equipment and enhance my portfolio. And prior to making that assignment, I received a request from a national pharmaceutical publication uh, to photograph an ATV rodeo. And, uh, but, she's, but the person said, you can't take pictures with a 35 millimeter, you gotta use digital. So I went out and bought my first digital camera and it was a um, Canon and I started using that and I took the job, I got the job of taking the rodeo and um, I immediately, was able to make a nice profit and I instantly stepped into the area of digital photography with that very first assignment. And yeah, it changed everything because it was more efficient and you always could see what you had. The cameras were upgraded. It was easier to work with the light. Uh, so that's how I got into freelancing. Was it challenging to go into digital photography while trying to do freelance? It was challenging to me, but I had kind of, uh, again, a kind of stroke of luck. Some of the clients that I worked with over the years knew that I was on the freelance block now, and they started calling me. And one of the first jobs I got was on Challenger Tractor Magazine, and I, 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 I worked on that. It was a, That's where I got to use my equipment skills again and work with the light. And had several covers on that publication, which no is no longer today going. And and then I, uh, people, the client would call me and say, "We want you to go out and do this photography on crops or chemicals or spraying and or livestock for uh, for medicine, but we're not sending anybody out with you because we don't have to." We know the kind of photography that you've done in the past, and you can do it all by yourself. You don't need any guidance. You know a good cow from a bad one. You know the kind of clothes to wear and not to wear. And so there, I was on my way. And very seldom did anyone go out unless we really was in a really, really difficult situation. And so I just started picking up clients that way. And um, But you asked me on if I was a little bit uh timid well this is to establish a viable freelance enterprise i always followed a few guidelines and i think these are what really helped me and they included building a solid relationship with a contact person or client making sure to always meet the deadlines discussing billable rates and time required for the job always being accurate on invoices, take pride in your work, do the best possible job you can, and always make sure to have fun, mm. fun, mm-hmm. fun, fun. I also, like, I also like to maintain a personal contact after completing the assignment, which often leads to another project. Mm-hmm. Which goes back to number while one. While I lack confidence, I just move forward Mm -hmm. that is such a great dose of encouragement harlan because myself included doing freelance work and there's other freelancers out there you know it takes time to build a business but would you say luck contributed to your success or was it being prepared and being a hard worker and being consistent in your work Yes, well, being a hard worker, being consistent, always showing up on time, uh, having a good por- portfolio to back back me, uh, discipline. You know, discipline I learned in the service, and you and you also need to be be consistent. 
And the list discipline will always carry you the extra mile. It's just you gotta you, you need to follow the rules and regulations and, 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 and keep those in the back of your mind all the time. And always try to be yourself. And I feel the primary component that drove me the most in my initial years of freelancing was proving to myself that I could succeed and make a viable living. And also I registered for the uh, seminars every year at AMS that would help um, me learn more about freelancing and, and, and how editors could help me. And I always picked up a lot of tips by going to these uh, particular uh, sessions. I still do it today because people, it's just an ongoing practice. And there's one thing about photography and anything, you've got to practice. And I mm-hmm. spent a lot of time practicing. Even on my own farm, I still practice. We'll be right back to Harlan's interview after a short break. I'd like to recognize our podcast sponsor, Wiffles Hybrids, an independently owned seed company where corn is their business. As I said on our last episode, Holly Spangler and I recently interviewed Jill Lohr, Wiffles Communications Manager, about their award-winning PR campaign and the sponsorship of this podcast. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend just head back a couple episodes and it is available on all major podcasting platforms, as well as the agcomnetwork.com website. Thank you to Jill and the entire Wiffles team for supporting the Above the Fold podcast with the Ag Communicators Network. Now, before our break, Harlan talked about his start into ag media as a photojournalist and working at PR companies, and then starting his own freelance business in 2004. He talked about transitioning into digital photography and hasn't looked back. In this second segment of my interview with Harlan, we talk about his most memorable and favorite photos, and he shares how to capture the most eye-appealing photos. I have basically four different categories here. I have my most memorable. I have my favorite, like two of them. Uh, So I'm going to go through and tell you my uh my uh favorite my most memorable when i was in vietnam i took a picture of two gals that would come into my tent from the village and wash my clothes twice a week i took it into before i left because that's when i bought my camera and i just documenting things and you know i just kind of filed that photo away and i'd look at it every now and then it was a 35 millimeter slide and, you know, you take someone far away and you wonder whatever happened to those people. In 2013, I had the chance to go back to Vietnam uh, through another uh, conference in Thailand and Cambodia. And I hired a guide and we went down to the village where I was in 1969. And I had this little five by seven print of these two girls. And we showed it to someone that ran a cafe and a lady. And oh, I don't know those girls. We talked to all the elders in the hometown there in the village. No one knew them. Leave the photo with me tonight. And I have a friend and come back tomorrow. So I went and slept on it and went back the next morning. This woman was all dressed up like she's going to a wedding. I said, boy, there's something going on here today. She said, we know one of the girls in the photograph do you want to go see her? And I said, well, I would really like to go see her. And so we drove in the van out five miles in the monsoon and come to this little old hut and went inside to the little courtyard and there was no way there. And finally this little, small little Vietnamese lady walked out and I knew right away it was one of those women in that picture. I could just kind of tell from the facial features. And, um, the guide spoke broken English and tried to explain to her what was going on. And finally, we, of course, we handed her the photo. And she stared at this picture for maybe about three minutes and just never glanced away. And I finally realized later why she did that. The other girl in the picture was her sister. 
And she never had a picture of her and her sister ever taken together, let alone in color, let alone when they were 16 and 17 years old. It had to be quite a shock for her. And she told me she hadn't seen her sister in years and that she lost her husband in the war and she had grandchildren and she raised rice uh, in the hut outside to survive. And of course, I wish I'd asked her a lot more questions, but language was a barrier. And of course, I gave her the photo when I left and I turned around and glanced back and I saw a smile. And I'll tell you what, you don't forget that one. And oh, I got sure. in the van and closed the door. And I said, you had one incredible experience today that how many people have ever done anything like this? Maybe you can count them on your one hand. And I kind of just closed the door and I said, that's Vietnam for me. And I would like to go back and find a sister, but I never will. And that's my most memorable photograph. And my most favorite picture is the picture of my mother that I took in 1996 or 95 or 96, standing in the cornfield on the 4th of July with the corn way over her head. She's only five foot two. She's a, just enveloped in this sea of corn and there was no sun. It was a perfect day to take a portrait. I entered the picture in the 1996 Iowa State Fair sesquicentennial photo contest and the theme was farm life in Iowa and I won first prize with that picture and that's my most favorite picture and another one that means a lot to me is a picture of the four three or four combines I have in Byer Colorado when I did the uh, custom combine photo shoot for uh, a client and um, I was out there four or five days and I was just working and I wasn't getting, well, I was getting good things, but all of a sudden I got in the back of a truck. I had a 17 millimeter lens and I was riding around and here comes these four combines right alongside. And I snapped away and I put a polarizer on there because there was a white cloud. And uh, I got back and when I looked at the picture, of course, later on, it was just a slide. I saw the clouds and I said, wow, they really jumped off the, out of the frame. And the, I was there four days and I only had one hour of clouds and that was a noon hour, which was luck. But the clouds to me show this, are shaped like an eagle flying over these combines. And to me, that's the ultimate breadbasket picture of America. Combines, wheat, and American eagle. And one last photo, of course, is the, the picture of that I went back when I went back in nineteen uh, thir in 2013 to do to visit the the village where I was during the war, and a picture of a, a lady on a motorcycle with a whole bunch of ducks all strapped on there, and uh, I saw this thing go by me on the road, and I told the driver, "You you got to stick with that. You got to stick with that thing." And we drove two or three miles and we finally crowded this poor person to the side of the road because I wanted a picture. And I flew the door open on the van and I got six frames. One of not much, one of a close-up of the ducks, one of, of the girl on the cycle with the ducks, and one more of her leaving because she didn't wait any longer. And I, of course, it was digital. And when I got back into the... Um, uh, Van, I looked at the photos and I said, oh my gosh, you, you've got a winner here. You, you got a really, really interesting picture. And so I entered that in the unpublished category for ag editors about five years ago. And of course I got the top prize. Harlan, do you believe that every single photo has a story? There's a story behind it? Well, I'm not sure if every single photo does, but most every photo assignment has a has a, um, a story behind it. And I was going to mention here um, what an eye appealing picture might be. And yes, they a, a really good picture will tell a story, and you don't need a caption. And if you ever see 
the winning photos from the Pulitzer Prize that people have won over the years, no words are needed on any picture. You you know exactly what is going on. Like, for example, you know, Babe Ruth, when he stood there in the Yankee Stadium the last time, or um, someone being uh, jumping from a burning building or something like that. So to me, an eye-appealing picture starts with having an excellent eye for composition. And the only way to reach that goal is through years of practice. The best shots involve an interesting angle, the correct balance of light, leading lines that draw you into the scene, and often adding a touch of red color. Red acts as a spotlight that immediately draws attention. And when taking pictures, I try, as I said before, to have fun, maintain focus, and then blend everything together to create a memorable story. That's just keeping it simple. Well, you say it's taken years of practice to really truly hone in on the art of photography. And you just shared with us um, some good tips for photography. And my question is, it's important to learn the fundamentals of photography, really study your camera, understand what you can do with your camera. Don't just shoot in automatic mode, know how to do the different settings, but then also add your creative style to it. And I think you just listed that out perfectly right there. You, you, that's a very interesting question. And uh, like I said, I've been fortunate and there's so many aspects you can gain from learning how to uh, take good pictures. And I would encourage people to maintain their self-creativity and carve out a niche and do what you like to do. And that's kind of where I've um, been the last since I started freelancing and even before that. But um, I try in photography to always watch the light and the weather. And so by doing that, I've carved out a niche of like photo art and try to make it look somewhat like a painting rather than just a picture. And um, uh, several of my pictures I know I know resemble that. I know some people have looked at my photography and said, well, I know that's your picture right away. It, that's that's different than a regular picture. It, it's, it has some kind of, like you touched it up or something. And I said, yeah, well, I, I don't do that kind of stuff. But I learned one thing, never, ever give up on a photo. And because the weather and the light can change in 10 minutes, and it's happened, and you can get ready to uh, leave the field and go to the car, and maybe it's getting a little bit twilight and all of a sudden something will happen and you you never want to put that camera in the car and you don't want to go home you just keep that camera with you and you can get award winning photo get award winning picture and like i said always want to carry that camera with you and I do all the time. Arlen, reflecting on the career you've had so far, um, is there anything you wish you would have known back early in your career or anything you wish you would have done differently? That's a, that's a very interesting question. and I have like uh, quite a few years to reflect back on. Um, when I went back to Iowa State University, uh, to get my ag journalism degree, which I never thought that I would ever end up having a career like this because I was just an infant in the journalism industry. I didn't take the editing course. Uh, I think I was scared. <laughs> and 
I uh, regret that because uh, yeah, I struggled a little bit with my writing when I first started. And I remember one time I did a story and I took it in and the editor said, it's an interesting story, except you have a real kind of a problem here. And yes, he said, you have your lead in the last paragraph. <laughs> I said, oh, oh, really? And you know, that's something that I'll never forget because I really hard, work, hard, work hard on the leads now. And every now and then, I may be a little ways in the story and I think, hey, that lead isn't right. And I go back and change it. So it's one thing that I, I should have done differently. And the other thing that I should have or maybe could have done was maybe work on a newspaper when I first got out of college or even in college. And because it forces you to really uh, interact and combat that deadline. And I never worked on a newspaper. And I know several people that I worked with uh, through the first years at a couple of places, they had that kind of training and they were very, very fast writers. They put that sheet of paper in a typewriter and wow, half an hour, that's it, we're done. Or even less, I couldn't do that. I, I just couldn't do that. And so, but the total is now, I don't know if you go get a job on a newspaper these days. You know, like there's not that many around. Mm -hmm. To me, it sounds like in communications, you know, there's a lot of different areas you can do from journalism to PR, to graphic design, to photography, to videography, to audio production now a lot of different ways. And I think it's important and you've established this, create your own brand, create your own niche so people know it's your work, but don't limit yourself to other areas that can expand your skill set. Yes. I, I, I've been very fortunate. I have had, have, had, have had good art directors. I've had outstanding editors. I've had people give me a pat on the back. I, I tried to do that myself a little bit more than I did when I was like in the middle of my journalism career. It's, you, you, try, you need to encourage the young folk uh, to, to, to work at it. You know, they think the camera's going to do everything. Nah, you got to practice. It's like if you're going to be a good golfer, you better go out and practice because you won't make it. Oh, I, I still practice. I use my home farm as a laboratory because I I like to enter photo contests, and one of the ones I enter is the National Corn Growers Contest. Well, you, guess what? You can only pretty much take pictures of corn for that contest, right? Because there's different categories, <laughs> but most of them involve corn. Mm -hmm. So I spend time, you know, and again, get up early in the morning when that sun comes up and there's some dew on the plants or um take some pictures of it and there's an interesting scenario with photography that I don't know if some people really understand or know. The light is very much different in the early morning hour than at sunset. And why is that? Well, in the summertime, when you're working in the fields, uh, over, over the nighttime, the, the dust settles, settles out, it's filtered out. There's no wind usually and it just fades away. So you don't have that kind of light in the morning. You don't. You have a different light in the morning. And you go out at sunset, and farmers have been working in the fields, and the wind, and there's dust hanging, and the sun is getting lower, and there's a different shade of color that comes through that dust from the sun to help you get a different color with equipment or silhouettes or anything. And the other thing I might mention is sunsets. You, the best sunset, if you got some clouds on the horizon and I can kind of see it coming, the best lighting and the top lighting for a sunset happens 10 minutes after the sun goes down behind the horizon. It doesn't happen the first two or three minutes. That sun keeps going behind the earth's shadow and it, jumps up and reflects off the sky and gets into the clouds and so i've always got that scouted out and i'm looking 
and I find a place to be. And sure enough, about nine minutes, I'm out there, and in 11 minutes, it's gone. It's just amazing. You got that one minute in there to get that spectacular red fire engine or yellow or orange sunset. Those are the best. It's a good, it's a good teaching tool, but most mm -hmm. people don't do that. Harlan, what's next for you? What projects do you hope to work on? Are there any goals you want to accomplish? They always had one goal that I always wanted to accomplish. I had three goals, two of them I had no control over. Uh, so the, the goal was I always would have liked to maybe do a story for National Geographic magazine. And uh, I don't really get the issue that much, but, you know, you anybody that looks at it, you just kind of sit there and wonder how did they do that. Trouble is they take thousands of photos for one story. And I I never did that. I didn't have the time. I you know, always had a job. And I think you, I wasn't in a freelancing. Maybe I should have done it when I started freelancing. But nowadays, I think you got to come up with a really, really good idea. Don't think they just send you out on assignment. I think you got to got to pitch some of your own ideas. And right now, I don't have that idea. But uh, that's one thing that well, it's not a regret. But I wish I would have maybe taken a shot at it because <laughs> I don't know any ag journalists, hardly anybody that I've met that have ever done anything for National Geographic. And the other thing that I'm going to do, hopefully, God willing, is I'm going to do a book. And my book's going to have about 10 or 12 chapters. And the chapters are going to be growing up on the farm, attending Iowa State, military life, jobs that I've had, clients I've worked on. I've traveled to 40 countries. I'm going to put a picture from each of those countries, my best shot into that book. That's not going to be easy to do, but I have all the pictures. And then I'm going to uh, kind of end it up with uh, maybe a girlfriend or two that uh, I never was, uh, never got married, but had so and some of my friends. And uh, then end it with just, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the ending is. I haven't reached the ending of the book yet. So I'll also put in there my experiences living in Norway for six months. Mm -hmm. Living in Norway changed my life forever because that's where I truly became a photojournalist. Uh, it happened in 1970. And if I wouldn't have gone on that trip, I would not be a photojournalist today. And in fact, I don't know what I would be. I think I might be a lost soul. And because I came out of Vietnam and six months later, I went to Norway and that's a wake up call. And mm -hmm. I mean, really that. And I had some fantastic families. I had five of them and I've been back and I visited three or four times in Norway. In fact, I went back there three years ago and spent a whole month with one of the families. And you, 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 you I, I'll miss not having the chance to go back someday. Because it, it gave me the confidence and the um, knowledge on how to uh, accept and frame and photograph and remember customs in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Well, I really and hope I, you get to write that book. I'd be the first one to line up to get it read and then get it autographed. So someone asked me one time, uh, yeah, I would definitely get a autograph, but I, yeah, I want, that's something I, I have to get going on. But thinking back over my uh, journalism career, I received some advice from a professor, kind of a concert while I went to college that always stuck with me. And when I was in school, I was not doing very well the first year. Uh, I was suffering on grades. I goofed around a little bit, but I worked hard. But uh, he called me and he said, um, I don't think you're doing very well in school, Mr. Persinger. And I said, yes, sir. And during our conversation, which was brief, 
he focused on one word, application. And he said to me, you be diligent in every endeavor, endeavor that you may encounter during your life. And you will just perceive, preserve, and you will never fail. My God, thy save me. Save me. Wish I could talk to him today. Application. That's all it was. Application. It holds so true today. One simple word. That's kind of the capsule of, 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 of what happened to me. Yeah. Harlan, is there anything else you want to mention in our interview that you don't want to leave out? Well, I'd like to mention that I, I've been a member of AG, AEA, uh, and the new name now, AG Communicators, for over 45 years. And all the people there that have helped me, I can't ever thank them enough. And my bosses that I worked for, I had three really good jobs, and then all the clients. But uh, the world of ag journalism changed because when I was an early member, mostly was a male-dominated particular uh, organization. Now it's it's changed, it's flip-flopped, and uh, it, it's it's very encouraging the members, the young people, and a lot of female. And um, if I was going to go out and hire my own people to work with me in an agency, I'd probably, <laughs> I, heard, I heard three or four outstanding women that I've met in my, through my career, because they, they, they're incredible. They're yeah. good idea people, they network well, they have uh, their own strengths in public relations, and they uh, challenge themselves to do a better job. So yeah. I would have to thank AAEA, uh, and that's why I'm still a member and still active. You, you go every year and, and you always meet someone new, number one, or you meet an old timer, or you find a new nugget that you can use in your profession. So thank God for 100 years of ag journalism in this country. I'll keep going as long as I can. I am so excited to see what Harlan will photograph next. And I will say, if anyone has a connection to National Geographic, let's help Harlan accomplish his goal to be published. How amazing that would be. And I also hope he does publish a book. I know it'll be an excellent read. A big thank you to Harlan Persinger for his willingness to interview and reflect back on his accomplished career so far in ag media and photography. Some of the lessons I learned from his interview were to be diligent in every situation and apply yourself. Never give up on a photo. Build solid relationships with clients. Take pride in your work. Have fun and so much more. Again, thank you to our podcast sponsor, Wiffles Hybrids. On the next episode, you'll hear from Rachel Peabody of the Illinois Soybean Association. She talks about how each job she's ever had has led to her next opportunity and to never be afraid to go out of the agriculture industry for job opportunities. I'm Kelsey Litchfield. Thanks for listening to this episode of Above the Fold with the Ag Communicators Network. Above the Fold with the Ag Communicators Network is edited by C3 Studios, a full-service podcast and audio production agency. For more information about our services and to work with our team, please visit ColleenCallahan.com.